Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, recording here, not live, I guess, because it's a podcast, so you don't listen to it live, but as we record, it is the night before Thanksgiving. I am doing my best to fast. I'm just eating banana pudding and drinking Miller Lite tonight. Ricky LeBlue, what are you doing this evening? See, you're doing it wrong, so you have to actually eat a ton, right? Because you got to expand your stomach. And then when it comes time to grub, you're ready for like two helpings of turkey, three helpings of mashed potatoes, get you some green beans, whatever, whatever kind of vegetables you put in there, lima beans, whatever. But trust me, for for a guy for a guy who's been chubby his whole life, I know how this works. I believe you. I I believe you, and I'm excited for Thanksgiving. I'm posted up here in the Berg still, given COVID and everything like that. Probably not the smartest idea to drive eight hours back to my home state of New Jersey. So I'll be in and around Blacksburg. Ricky, you got any big plans? Uh, just getting together with a small amount of family. Um, nobody's traveling in or anything like that. Uh, so it'll be it'll be pretty relaxed and low-key for us. Um, you know, just thankful that I can... Spend some time with family, and I'm, I'm hopeful that those who are listening are going to be able to do the same thing. Um, it's been a really trying year for all of us, of course, and um, despite that, it's important to get together and, and enjoy the company of one another, uh, especially for the holidays. Thanksgiving's always one of my favorite days of the year. Absolutely, and I agree with everything that you just said there. But we do have business to attend to before we start eating like maniacs tomorrow, and that's talk a little not hokey football this time, but hokey basketball. Yes, hokey basketball, year two of the Mike Young era getting underway. We'll talk about it shortly. But first, we got to tell you that the Hokie Hangover podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is your one-stop shop if you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you. So, yes, if you want to be treated like a neighbor, rather than a number. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. So a little disclaimer here. I watched the game that happened at noon today. Ricky was not able to do so because of work. Yep. But I, th- I think that there was only so much you can take out of that game. And we're not, I mean, we're not here to do a, a recap of the Radford game. We're going to go much more big picture than that. I want to start off, Ricky, because like we said, year two of the Mike Young era, and we have seen this movie before. This movie being Virginia Tech trying to rebuild their basketball program from the ground up with a new coach. Now let's look back at Buzz Williams, right? Buzz Williams whether you like him or you don't, you have to admit that Buzz Williams had a very successful tenure at Virginia Tech. He brought them to the basement that they were after two years of James Johnson to an NCAA Sweet 16 team in five seasons. But year one under Buzz Williams was not spectacular, losing record, 2-16 and 16 in conference. Year one of Mike Young was decidedly better. Obviously, gets off to a very hot start with the win over Michigan State. A couple of conference wins. They fizzle out at the end, finish about ninth in the ACC. Look back at year two of Buzz Williams. That year didn't get off to such a hot start. And, Ricky, I'm sure you remember this. Losses to Alabama State and Radford in the same year. Two mid-major losses. So, Ricky, what happened after that was the team started playing well. The young talent developed. Virginia Tech ultimately finishes with a winning record in the ACC for the first time in a long time and ride that momentum to an NIT appearance, which ultimately ends up being three straight NCAA tournament appearances to end Buzz Williams' tenure. There was clear progression each year. And you're looking at year two of the Mike Young era. What has to happen to constitute a successful season in terms of the progression of the rebuild. Well, they've got to remain competitive for one. Um, the ACC is always a tough conference. They bring in all sorts of talent every year. And something we noticed last year was that even though Virginia Tech was clearly deficient relative to 
some of the better teams in the conference, they were always in it. Like they, they, they weren't getting ran over. Um, Mike's young team overachieved last year. And for a while there, they were a clear tournament team. I mean, we all remember the Michigan State upset. And for a good portion of the season, we thought Virginia Tech was going to make them or find themselves in the tournament. And then the team obviously faded out the stretch, but you never got the feeling that Virginia Tech was just completely outmatched and outgunned. It, it felt like they punched above their weight class for most of the season. And I think that was probably the most encouraging thing to me about Mike Young's first year, because I was pretty skeptical when he got hired, um, given he had no high major experience. Um, he was a bit on the older side and you always wonder how an older coach is going to relate in a new program, trying to, to build it from, not from scratch because Buzz Williams didn't leave the cupboard completely bare, but he didn't leave much on that roster. Um, but Mike Young did an exceptional job getting guys to buy in. And that's got to be probably the, the, the first goal for this season again is to keep everybody bought into what they're doing inside Castle Coliseum and, and inside Han Hurst. It, it seems like that is the case. Um, obviously getting the win today against Radford was a huge win. Radford is at least last year was a 20 win team in um, the big South. They're a pretty solid mid-major program, not saying that, you know, Virginia tech should be super celebrating this win, but beating uh, a team like that in your first, first game by double digits. It, Especially it after not having scrimmaged any other team. Yeah. How unconventional their preseason has been because of COVID, kind of going out, maybe not cold, but, and we'll get to this in a little while, a lot of new faces on the team. It's going to take a minute to develop that chemistry. If they had slipped up, it wouldn't have been the biggest surprise in the world, but they did. Yeah, and so it's it's certainly encouraging that they were able to come out and get this win. Um, there's plenty to to nitpick at and, and to, you know, question moving forward, but um, for all intents and purposes, Virginia Tech basketball has some momentum for the rest of the season. And for a team that is this young and a team, for, no pun intended, for a team that has this much of a daunting task in front of them because they are a bit undermanned in terms of talent and experience right now, it's, it's good to get a win in, under your belt from the start and not have to worry about taking an early loss to an in-state team. We all know what that can do for the football side of things. Um, so definitely encouraging sign. And um, I, I think the other thing too, and I really know we're going to talk about this a lot, is getting the young guys to progress and develop into real contributors. There's a lot of young players on this roster, three freshmen specifically. Um, how does Mike Young get them acclimated to things? Because that's going to play – not just a big role this season, but for obviously for the rest of, of, of Mike Young's tenure, this first class here that he really had his hands on, um, if they if they don't pan out, it's going to be pretty tough for Mike Young to get this program where he wants it to be. But if he's able to get them going in the right direction and and get them to start becoming more polished players, then you're starting to look at something that can be pretty impressive. I'm going to keep drawing parallels to the beginning of that Buzz Williams era. But we saw with the kids that came in with that first class for Buzz, Justin Bibbs, Ahmed Hill. And you see in year one, okay, these guys are young. These guys are talented. There's a reason these guys were high recruits. But in years two and three, they developed themselves into certified stars as Buzz brought in more high recruits and a number of high-profile transfers, such as Seth Allen and Zach Lede, that acted as the glue that gave those younger guys time to develop. I think a lot of credit for the success of the Buzz Williams era goes straight to Zach Liday and Seth Allen for what they did in the short period of time that they were on the Hokies' active roster. I know they, it was before transferring got so easy, yeah. so they both had to sit out a year. And again, we'll draw a parallel, though, with a couple of guys headed out the door, that being Landers Nolly, P.J. Horn, and Isaiah Wilkins. The Hokies had roster spots to fill, they filled them with Justin Mutz, a transfer from Delaware, who is actually on his third team. He keeps moving up a level and improving at every level, so hopefully that continues. Cartier Diara, 
a Kansas State three-year starter who averaged like 13 points a game last year, a guy who considered entering the NBA draft even after he declared transferring to the Hokies, Eve Aluma, a key player on Mike Young's 2019 NCAA tournament Wofford team that won a game. I mean, this guy was getting 25, 30 minutes a game on that Wofford team that ended up being a top 20 team in the country. And Cordell Pemsel, a scrappy guy out of Iowa. These are your potential glue guys, Ricky, that can be, and we saw them get significant playing time in the Radford game today. These guys are going to be used in a serious way. Who do you think has the greatest opportunity to make an instant impact? It's definitely Kivi Aluma. Um, he would have been a starter on last year's roster without question if he was eligible. He's probably going to be the starting center all season long. Um, he's athletic. He's skilled. He's smart. He's experienced. He's far and away the most productive big man on this roster. And I think there are some serious comparisons to Zach Lede, not in terms of play style, not in terms of, of height and athleticism, but what they're going to bring to this team. Zach Lede was such a kind of a, a leveling force because he was so skilled around the basket. He was able to get Virginia Tech to play up against their competition. Because he, 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 Zach Lede is one of the great fundamental college basketball players. Yes. Yeah, and that's why he was a perfect fit overseas. That's why when he graduated, he went directly overseas because he's a perfect fit to play undersized five over there. Um, Kibi Aluma is not the undersized guy. He, I don't haven't had a chance to to really observe him too much, so I don't know if he's going to be this overly emotional and expressive leader that Zach Lede was. But in terms of what he can provide on the floor, being an experienced, skilled, talented center, that's huge. And I think it really fits into Mike Young's system. And something I noticed is that, um, from my understanding, Kivi Aluma never hit a three-pointer at Wofford. Um, he went two for five, and, or excuse me, three for five in this game. If he's going to be able to stretch the floor – then that changes everything. That makes Virginia Tech's offense almost as lethal as it was under Buzz Williams, where you had five guys who could hit three-pointers. Uh, so the, it's, I think he is perfectly fit for what Mike Young is trying to do. I think that that's why Mike Young picked him out of you know picked him out of the group from day one as soon as he took the Virginia Tech job. And I'm really curious to see how well he can perform all season long because he's got some really good athletes around him, and there's going to be a lot of space. When you play a small ball, multiple guards, undersized brand of basketball, if you do get a guy that stretches the floor, that system can turn, say, Kerry Blackshear Jr. into an all-ACC caliber player if you put the right guy in the right spot. And from what we saw from Aluma today, he is versatile, and he said in his post-game press conference that he did put on a significant amount of muscle during that year that he had to redshirt, and that he did work on that three-point shot. So, And that's the same thing Lede did when he had to sit out. Mm-hmm. It, the, the parallels are all over the place. And I feel like I tweeted this out today. So I, I, why are people sleeping on this guy? Mike Young didn't bring him to Tech because he didn't think he could do it. And I think with Virginia Tech fans, because Wofford – is Wofford, right? And people thought we were going to get Shaka Smart or something to come here once Buzz Williams exited stage left <laughs> two days after the NCAA tournament loss. People kind of looked down at Wofford, but if you're a contributing player on a team that's really, really good, it probably means that you can play at this level, at least for Virginia Tech, and that extra year to up your body and, and physically strengthen yourself so that you can play in that power conference ACC level of basketball more consistently. I mean, that, that's huge. But a guy that, you know, is no stranger to power coverage basketball, I think that I'm really curious to see how good this guy actually ends up being is Karchia Diara. He came and at the beginning of this Radford game, he was an energizer bunny right off of that opening tip. For a while in that game, Virginia Tech as a team couldn't throw a rock in the ocean if they were standing on the beach. And Diara came, he 
created scoring opportunities from both the perimeter. He can shoot. He can drive. He is uber athletic and good on the defensive side of the ball. I have heard as a ball handler can be pretty erratic, almost similar to, I don't want to say Chris Clark, but you know how Chris Clark could it's, energize it's the building. It's very similar to Seth Allen. It's yeah. extremely similar to Seth Allen. Seth was uber athletic, got to the basket at will a lot during during his time in Blacksburg, was definitely erratic with the ball, especially early on in his career, made a ton of turnovers. But he was such a catalyst on offense, and uh, Diara really has the opportunity to do that as a bigger player, more as a wing guy, uh, as opposed to like a combo guard. So Diara is definitely going to be someone who – helps this Virginia Tech offense flow when things are a bit out of rhythm because he's going to be able to create stuff. He's going to be able to get to the basket. Um, and that's something we did not see last year. Virginia Tech was really bad at playing out of their offense. If they were not able to get in rhythm and get their sets going, the offense just flat out stalled because they didn't have many shot creators on that team last year. But Cartier Tiara certainly seems like he can be a shot creator, and he showed that a bit in this game. My personal opinion on how does Virginia Tech kind of get to that next level. We saw last year that when Virginia Tech was shooting the lights out, and they did many times, they could hang in there or beat anyone on their schedule. We saw that very early on when they took down Michigan State, who was number one in the country, and Mike Young's like second game as the coach. But we saw later on in the season as – you get into that January, February, things drag on, the shooting got a little bit out of rhythm, and it kind of looked like if Virginia Tech couldn't get hot from the perimeter, they weren't going to beat anyone. Virginia Tech needs to be the team that their three-point shooting, their use of that offense to create shots will put you away and maybe keep you in games against a far superior team talent-wise. But they also need to be able to win games when the shooting is not on. You can't rely on being red hot from beyond the arc as your your primary offense. Like we talk about in football with, with the running game and the passing game, you need balance, right? And you, yeah. need some, you need to be able to make some noise on the inside. You need someone that can drive to the hoop. And not that, I mean, the inside, they really, I mean, you're playing Tyrese Radford as a center half the games last year. <laughs> like, I, I think Aluma and maybe the development of Ojiako will create more of a presence there, but just more versatility overall from what you can do as an offense. I don't want to get too much into Mutz and Pemsel. Mutz is not a great three-point shooter. He'll act as a wing like that as well, though. He's a drive-to-the-hoop kind of guy. If this team can mesh together well with these new guys, like we said, it's COVID. It's so strange. You could have three or four guys out for a two-week span. That's, that's four or five basketball games in the heat of things. And that's why it's going to be so hard to make a record prediction at the end of this. But I think they're deep and they're versatile. And that's something that we haven't been able to say in a lot of years. Buzz's team is versatile, but imagine Buzz's team playing in this COVID thing. I mean, he, he would run six guys half the time. When Justin Robinson was hurt, they were literally running a six, seven man offensive rotation. And I think that this team right now has almost maybe 10, 11 guys that you could realistically put in the game and not expect the entire thing to blow up in your face. Yeah, they played 11 in this game. Um, I don't know. I'm sure that rotation will be pared down once they get into ACC play, but it certainly does seem like the bottom of the roster is a bit better, obviously better than it was last year, and actually it may be even better than it was in under the last couple of years of Buzz Williams. I know he was notoriously tight with his rotations, but um, I guess we'll never really know if that's just his philosophy or, or if he really didn't think that those guys could play. But Mike Young certainly seems to trust these guys. Um, and I'm, you know, we'll see if he maintains that. He probably wanted to work in as many guys as possible in, in this situation to get guys on the floor. Um, but even if they only play like nine guys, that's that that's a huge, huge benefit to a team that is going to need guys as fresh as possible all season. Now, Ricky, I want to talk about the guard position, and I'll start with the incumbent. This is a guy, as you know, and as many of our listeners probably know, a couple of years now, two straight seasons of basketball, doing five days of radio with a 
a text in feature where the listeners can text in and, and one player, maybe <laughs> one player more than any other player in all Virginia tech sports that seems to really grind people's gears is what Bisa Beattie and the amount that he plays. We know Beattie's a good defender. We know he's a good distributor. I think he had the, the best assist to turnover ratio in the ACC last year. When it comes to shooting, he leaves a lot to be desired. You bring in two guards, freshmen, highly recruited, Bamasil and Maddox. You have other options like Cone and Aline. But yet, will be Sabidi, at least in this game, still starts. Do you believe that he is the man that should be getting the lion's share of the playing time at that point guard position still? Um, For now, yeah, I do. He's He's the most experienced guy on the roster. He's going to give you the best perimeter defense on the team. I think that that can't be overlooked. You can you can still run a, a semi-efficient offense with him on the floor. I understand that he's an offensive liability, at least in terms of um, actually scoring. But you can work him into the offense. We saw them do that last year. He's not going to be a guy who averages in double figures. It's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that you just – throw him to the side. He's extremely valuable defensively. He can distribute. He is a leader, a vocal leader. Um, Casting him out would be a a drastic mistake, and I don't think we're going to see that. Now, if you look at how the starters' minutes went, he had the fewest minutes of all the starters. So that's something to consider, and we'll see if that continues moving forward. But his playing time is going to be heavily dependent on if Naheem Aleen is able to develop and, and, and contribute more, if Tyrese Radford is able to continue to be productive, are any of the other guards going to continue to be productive. Um, so BD's minutes are going to be heavily dependent on the guys around him because you kind of know what you're getting with BD at this point. He's a proven commodity. All those other guys are question marks. So I think Young is going to stick with Beatty because he's reliable and he's predictable. And who knows, maybe we get 10 games, 15 games into the season, and a couple of those other guys that we just mentioned are starting to pop off and really be contributors, then maybe Beatty's minutes go down a little bit. But I think taking him off the floor for a you know lengthy period of time is a mistake given his leadership qualities his ability to distribute, take care of the ball, and obviously his defense, which is by far his his best trait. Two highly recruited freshmen coming in, Darius Maddox and Joe Bamasil. Longtime listeners of this podcast will remember that we had the opportunity to speak with Joe Bamasil. Super cool guy. Yeah. A lot of high expectations for these guys coming in. What would be reasonable to expect these two. I mean, I think Bamisil was a top 100 recruit. Maddox just on the outside. What What's a reasonable expectation, especially with Bamisil, the freshman from Richmond, very highly touted. For fans who might be getting a little over their skis here, what kind of output should we expect from these guys this year? Um. Something along the lines of what we saw maybe from Justin Bibbs early on in his career where he's a a pretty good scorer, reliable scorer, a guy who's a bit versatile. Um, That would be kind of best case scenario. Ultimately, if if Joe Bamisil and Darius Maddox can become reliable bench players and guys who can give you points in in short spurts, I think that's, that's enough in order for this team to be competitive. Obviously, Tech fans are going to want a bit more than that, but I think Mike Young is going to not ask too much from these guys early on because they need to get their feet wet. Like like we've all mentioned, COVID-19 has really affected teams in the offseason. Younger players, especially guys who are just now getting into the program, they don't have all that added benefit of that extra development and practice, the extra scrimmaging, things like that. Uh, so it may take him a bit longer to get acclimated to the college game. We all know the talent is there, but asking too much of him early on would be a mistake. I don't think Mike Young's going to do that. He's a bit smarter than that. 
So I like what they did today, getting Bama Steel 11 minutes. I think that's smart. Obviously, you'd like to see a bit more minutes for Darius Maddox moving forward, but that's kind of the thing here at guard is that there's kind of a log jam. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons Isaiah Wilkins transferred out. But if you look at the guard spot, there's so many names and so many guys that, that have some talent there. And Jalen Cohn didn't even play in this game. So the rotation's going to look even, even crazier when he comes in because you have to play Jalen Cohn because of what he can do, especially with his shooting. Um, I, I think if Bama Steel and Maddox can become reliable bench players that can be serious contributors and not just guys who are warm bodies, I think that would that would be a successful season for both of them. Matt or excuse me, Bama Seal does have the higher ceiling of the two. I think I think he can work his way into the starting rotation right away, depending on how things go. But I think that that's probably too high expectation, and Tech fans should tame it down a bit. It's a good thing when you have a lot of talent and a lot of potential in a freshman. But like you said, especially in a year like this, to have a couple guys in front of him that you know what you're going to get from them. Getting getting Diara and Mutz was huge because it doesn't force Bama Seal and Maddox to be 20-plus minutes right off the bat. I think that that's really critical that you don't ask too much from these guys early on. And as we talked about off, you know, not recording, that was one of my biggest fears was this tech basketball team having to rely heavily on two freshmen. You look back at Bibbs, Justin Bibbs and Ahmed Hill as freshmen were forced to play like 30 minutes a game. Yep. They just didn't mm-hmm. have, tech just didn't have anyone else that gave them a better shot. And I mean, ultimately they, they sort of thrived in the role. I mean, there was a learning curve there. It was obviously good experience in the long run. But right now, I mean, Tech has options where you don't need to throw the guy into the fire and say, yeah, we're depending on you right now. But, Ricky, last question I want to talk about in terms of the roster. We know we have a couple guys coming back from last season. Tyrese Radford, a fan favorite. We've mentioned Cone. We've mentioned Elian. Hunter Couture as well. These are guys that all got serious minutes last year. Who do you most want to see take a big step forward here in year two of Mike Young? Jalen Cohn, without a doubt. Um, if you want Wabisa BU to play fewer minutes, then Jalen Cohn's the guy to take his job. He is, he, or he has the ability to be a very explosive creator on offense. The issue is, is that he's just small. And he can be taken out of games right now. We saw that last year. He kind of turned into just a spot-up shooter. Um, He is a lot more than that. He has the capability of doing more. Tech really needs him to find that offensive rhythm with the ball in his hands this season. If he does, it really changes the dynamic of this offense, and it gives Virginia Tech another guy who can attack off the perimeter. And we just didn't see that enough last year. Last year, he was almost exclusively a spot-up shooter. And that's not to say Virginia Tech shouldn't continue to get him the ball in those opportunities. But if he's able to start distributing and creating off the dribble from the perimeter, that really changes the entire offense, and it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for everyone else. Um, If he's able to do that, that's big for the Hokies. If he's not... I think Jalen Coe can find himself kind of in the bottom of the rotation because he is such a defensive liability. And based upon what we saw last year, he's kind of a one-trick pony on offense. We mentioned Tyrese Radford. Tyrese Radford last year, team's second leading scorer. And down the stretch when Landers Nolly really cooled down in a very serious way. Yeah, we talked about that too much on the pod probably. (laughs) Yeah, Radford was – the guy kind of taking the team on his back. And we saw him do it at the basket. We saw him drive. We saw him doing it in the mid-range. He didn't really do it from three. He did hit three today, tying his season total from last year with one. <laughs> if, if Radford can develop a three-point shot, you have one of the most dynamic players in the ACC. And you have him in a guy that was basically not recruited by Power 5 programs at all out of high school. On the other side, speaking of guys that weren't that highly recruited, Hunter Couture 
who I think is, in terms of the size of the school, his best offer out of high school until Mike Young came to Virginia Tech, was maybe UCF is the most recognizable name in the American Conference. Total and they have a the terrible basketball program. Yeah, they do. I mean, in reality, <laughs> was probably his best offer. But, <laughs> but Couture has stepped in. He stepped in as a freshman and proved that he belonged. And just today... When he got going, he really got going. And as he gets older, as he puts muscle on that body, as he's able to add more elements to his game while remaining the spot-up shooter that he is, that's a really dangerous guy that can create offense for you. And and last I'll mention, kind of goes without saying, but if you can get John Ogiaco to just develop those basic big man skills, and it doesn't have to be this year, but just progression towards it, where you could have two years of a serious 6'10", 6'11", big man down low, I mean, that would be crucial, and that would be something that Virginia Tech really hasn't had in recent years. They had Kerry Blackshear, and that was it. And Kerry was never that physical presence down low. He was more of a finesse guy. Yep, he's um, a finesse big man. That, yeah, and I was, I'm not really sure what the, what the, context of this is but Ojiako didn't play in this game and that's something to keep an I eye think, on I think I think it was injury related was I'm it okay almost positive. Yeah. um because you, you're exactly right if he's if he's capable of giving them an actual big off the bench because if you look at this at this bench here I mean you have David and Gesson who is not he's not, not going to be ready yeah, I mean, he he did play six minutes in this game, didn't do a ton. Cordell Pemsel, I don't really know what to expect from him. Um, but John Ogiaco does give you serious length down near the basket. And as we've seen, even throughout the Buzz, William era, Buzz Williams era, when you go up against Duke, when you go up against Carolina, when you go up against Louisville, you're playing big, big men, like actual bigs guys who have a chance to be bigs in the NBA. Virginia Tech has not had that. So if, even if Kerry Blackshear was playing, if he goes out and you're playing Justin Bibbs at the five or you're playing Zach Lede at the five, uh, you ha- you're giving up a serious height advantage down it, there. It, the it, was it, very, it was a tough situation. And, and in fairness, credit to Buzz, they were able to come away with victories in a lot of those games where they were outmatched. But yeah, yeah, had, he was able to mitigate it a bit. Yeah, when you had Lede trying to guard like Marvin Bagley or Blackshear trying to guard Marvin Bagley, you're just at a serious disadvantage in, in terms of size. And if Virginia Tech could get a guy, and I mean, look at Florida State. I mean, Florida State runs lineups with like five dudes that are six seven, and yeah, fourth by Virginia Tech hasn't been able to have a lot of success against them. I mean, Leonard Hamilton's done a great job with that team, and they've been at the top of the conference for for years, but they have been an Achilles heel for Virginia Tech. So it'll be interesting to see when Tech does have to play Florida State because if I'm not mistaken, I'll double-check here. They have – yeah, I'm right. They have to play him twice. They have to play UVA twice, who has the Hauser kid who's just dynamic, and he might be a national player of the year candidate. UVA puts up like 90 points today, more points than they scored in any game last year. UVA did what now? <laughs> I will get I will get you the I will get you the real number here. Virginia, UVA scored how many points? Was this in two games? 89 to 54 was their final. Who, wait. Granted, they were playing Towson, but UVA doesn't okay. score 89 against anyone okay. in any game. In years past. Call me, call me when they put up 80 in a ACC game. Don't jinx it, Ricky, because I might have to call you on that one. <laughs> uh, Ricky, last but not least, before we finish this up, and then we will do our ACC football picks so we can stay on track despite the bye week. What's your expectation for this team? Where do you believe they finish? Where would you like to see them finish realistically? And how does it happen? I'd like them to be a bubble team. Um, I don't think they need to make the NCAA tournament in order for this season to be a success. That obviously would be huge. I don't think it has to happen. Um, But if they're in serious contention for the NCAA tournament at the end of the season, I I think that would have to be qualified as as a success. Um, 
And if they do make the NCAA tournament, then Mike Young is going to probably get himself a contract extension. So it it happens if they stay healthy. Um, a, one or two injuries on this roster would probably sink them pretty quick. I don't think that they have a replacement for Kivi Aluma. I really think he's going to be an impact player, and I don't think they have a replacement for him on the roster. Um, so they have to stay healthy. And they're going to have to get at least one of these young players to really step up and be a reliable contributor and a guy who can be a contributor at the ACC level and not just against all of these buy games. Um, so if someone like Joe Bamasiel or Darius Maddox um, or even David and Gesson, if, if they can somehow turn themselves into – ACC ACC caliber players right away, then that makes a huge difference because I do think we're going to see the rotation pare down a little bit, but um, I think that that's critical. They got to stay healthy. They have to find one of these young guys who can contribute right away, right away, and give them offense off the bench or maybe even in the starting lineup, depending how Mike Young wants to play it. But that to me would be a successful season. I think it's a, re- a reasonable expectation. For them to to fight for an NCAA tournament bid, I don't think it's reasonable to to demand it, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility. You kind of got to look at this as a ceiling floor kind of deal, right? And I, I think that sneaking into the NCAA tournament as maybe you know, anywhere between a 9 and an 11 seed is a, a realistic thing that this team could do. They were knocking on the door last year before their main score went ice cold and things got a little bit dicey. Everything's got to be taken with a grain of salt because you have no idea what kind of impact COVID's going to have on the roster throughout the process. Yeah, and, and who even knows like how many games they're going to like how many games are going to get canceled this year? Like there's like I mean no it, it, like all of these non-con games those could easily just get flat out canceled and then um, like the Maui Invitational, like who knows if that's if that's going to get played. All these ACC games, I mean, who knows if if those are going to get canceled or postponed or whatnot. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And then you know, I mean, the, the vaccines they're they're going to start being distributed what next month possibly at the end of December. They I've should be. De- I've heard December tenth is the day that the FDA will approve or not probably though they will the first vaccine and then it'll start rolling out from there you'll get about 20 to 40 million people vaccinated per month after that yeah so i mean who knows what order that's going to happen are athletes going to be able to get access to those if they do how does that change the dynamic so there's there's so much that's going to play into this season um, it, it's almost, and like you mentioned, it's almost impossible to pick like a win-loss record because you don't even know how many games they're going to play. Yeah, you don't know who you're going to have in the games that you are playing. Yeah. As we've seen in college football, that can have a uh, outsized impact on you. But some teams are resilient, like the University of Pittsburgh, winning without seven starters in a big way. Um, <laughs> are we are we taking shots tonight? I'm Andrew? sorry, slight shot, slight shot. <laughs> Am I, am I over it yet? Not necessarily. But yeah, I would say the ceiling for this team would be sneaking into the NCAA tournament. My goal for them, as much as you can make a goal given all the variables, is to follow that Buzz Williams track. Make the NIT, win a game. Everyone's got an extra year of eligibility anyway, but even if they didn't, you'd be bringing almost everyone back and ride that momentum going forward. Because I, I think that the difference between watching Virginia Tech football and Virginia Tech basketball right now is one has low expectations and that they're likely to meet. And if they miss it, it's like, oh, well, you know, new coach, young team. So basically everything they can do is going to impress me. I'm not going to be driven up the walls by a Virginia Tech basketball law. I don't think anyone's going to be calling for Mike Young's head in March. I mean, I think this, this school and this athletic department who is committed right now to a $50 million renovation of Castle Coliseum. That's what Whit Babcock says is uh, is next on the docket for the athletic department. Being in the ACC, you want to be a competitive basketball school. So eventually, 
there's going to be an expectation that those tournament appearances are coming. But it doesn't have to be this year. So just ride your momentum, develop your guys, and try to make the most out of a weird season. If they don't finish in the basement, I would say like 11th is my 11th or 12th would be like the worst I would want to see them do without kind of getting a little bit mad. Yeah, uh, and the main thing I wanted to, to hit on was Mike Young has bought himself some leeway here. Part of that's because he overachieved last season, and the other part of it is he's kind of endeared himself to the fan base. Like he, he's kind of this, you know, um, happy-go-lucky guy who, you know, doesn't have his eyes set elsewhere. He's approachable. He is likable. He tries to make himself likable and approachable. And it, it almost gives you that Frank Beamer vibe of someone who is just really down to earth and is, is open about it. And I don't want that to be a direct commentary on the football program, but when you endear yourself to a fan base and you make an effort to relate with them, it buys you some extra time kinks that come up over the next you know one to however many seasons Mike Young is here in Blacksburg and Virginia Tech fans are going to be a lot more tolerant of those when they feel like they're emotionally invested in the head coach it's hard to call for the job of someone that you like personally and for what that's worth and this is what is kind of happening with the football program as well you could make an argument claiming that Justin Fuente shouldn't be terminated based on his overall resume of the work he's done. And I'll listen to that argument. But my counter argument at that point is you might believe what you believe about the situation and about the job that he's done. But the outside forces with donors and fans and now you have guys like D'Angelo Hall going out on Twitter, former stars are piling up and Perception is reality, and it becomes an untenable situation. But I don't think you're going to see that with Mike Young because of his personality, because of the local roots, and as you mentioned previously, because of the unexpectedly hot start he got off to last year. I think there's a lot of belief and a lot of genuine hokey love for this guy because I, I think that after almost 30 years of Frank Beamer, this fan base responds to the grandpa that is just a dude that you'd want to sit down and drink a beer with. You know what I mean? Or eat popcorn with, depending on the <laughs> depending on the scenario. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. All right, Ricky, got anything else, or should we go to our ACC picks? Uh, no, I'm I'm really excited about the season. I think Tech fans are looking forward to it uh, to kind of get their mind off of football. I am curious to see if there is a head coaching change in football. How much? press it eats away from the basketball team I, I i am curious to see that football will always be king at this school as much as as much as we love basketball but like you mentioned there ricky i i said it earlier today basketball season couldn't have started at a better time for this virginia tech fan base because they just need something to cling on to that gives them hope and, and some semblance of optimism and, and we're just yeah. not getting that from the football program right now uh all right ricky let's do it it's time for our acc picks update on the overall standings we haven't updated you guys and no 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 don't do this oh no i think we should don't. i think we should also it, it's i don't think i ever actually mentioned it mike mcdaniel is doing thanksgiving stuff with his family and that's why he's not here so yeah we'll get his picks from him later i guess it's an excuse absence yeah, it's an excused absence for sure. But I am in the lead right now, 30 and 24 on the year. Mike, with the inverse of my record, he is 24 and 30. And in the basement, Ricky LeBlue, 21 and 33. Let's get things started here. Number two in the nation, Notre Dame Fighting Irish travel to Chapel Hill, North Carolina to take on the now ranked again number 19 North Carolina Tar Heels, Notre Dame, a five-point favorite. This is a tough one. Yeah, Notre Dame can definitely lose this game. Um, if if for, Now, the counter-argument to that is Carolina's defense is terrible. 
I think that that would be the counter argument because the way that Notre Dame loses this game is that their offense is kind of slow to start, and then Carolina just pops off and drops 45, which is certainly possible. Um, I do think Notre Dame will win this game. Five points is in the Giants' spread. I'll take the Irish to cover. Ricky going with the Irish. And maybe every game could be looked at as a trap game for Notre Dame at this point, right? Because they know that despite an undefeated 8-0 record, despite playing a number of games that, frankly, haven't been all that close, their litmus test for the season will happen in mid to late December when they get that rematch with Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Could they slip up in the process? Possible. The faith in Carolina's defense is is not Nil. much. Zero. They let Wake Forest put up 53 against them. They've been winning a lot of track meets, right? But they've been winning a lot of track meets against teams that aren't known for their defense either. See Wake Forest, see Virginia Tech, see North Carolina State. Because of that, I'm going to go with Notre Dame as well. All right, next game on the docket, UVA. Now even their record up to 4-4. Four and four. They travel to Tallahassee to take on Florida State, UVA, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. I, I don't have confidence in UVA beating anybody by double digits. Um, but Florida State stinks. I'm going to go with the Hoos. Um, I just I, – I, if you think Tech's in free fall right now, Florida State is, is in more so. Yeah, there are worse uh, situations. Florida State and, of course, you Penn see what's State. happening. In, yeah, Happy Valley. That's what I was going to say. I think it might be time for James Franklin to stop tweeting. I saw someone tweet it out because he tweeted out the name of the opponent like seven times. I got to get James Franklin's bets every week because he keeps getting them right. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Who's as well. I mean, this Florida State team is – Bad. You know, frankly, it's a train wreck, right? And there's a lack of culture and new head coach in a program that was spiraling downward anyway in a COVID year is not a good situation. And that is shown on the field for them. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go with UVA as well. I've, and this isn't going to make a lot of tech fans happy. Brandon Armstrong is coming into his own at that quarterback position. He's not a world beater, but he is an acceptable option at quarterback and, you know, the defense has held its own to an extent. So he's a poor man, Bryce Perkins. Yes, exactly. UVA is going to be a tough beat in a couple of weeks, but we have some time before we have to think about that. All right, Ricky, North Carolina State on the road, Carrier Dome, a 14 and a half point favorite against the Orange. There is no way that I'm betting on NC State to walk into the Jiffy Pop Dome and win this game by three scores. I will take the orange. Oh, Ricky. That is, uh, that is an interesting one. I Look, I got I to go opposite of conventional wisdom anyway if I'm going to try and catch you guys. So I can't get much worse. All right. You can go with the orange. I won't. <laughs> is not that bad. And... More importantly, Syracuse is that bad. <laughs> yeah, like, Syracuse thinks. <laughs> I have successfully picked against them on these spreads multiple times, and it's, uh, you know, there's a reason I'm uh, 30 and 24. I'm picking up wins somewhere, so yeah. Oh, hello. Somebody's, somebody's throwing I'm it around. Usually, I'm not usually that good at this. <laughs> like, I, to, going, like, if I only started betting on these games like three weeks ago, I would be, like, I'm like, 11 and three or something over the past two or three weeks. It's really out of this world to me. Next game, Clemson minus 24. They host Pittsburgh Panthers coming off a big win against Virginia Tech. Who do you got? This is a joke, right? It might be. 24 points. Are you kidding me? I wrote last week that Clemson is going to absolutely nuke the rest of their schedule. I'm sticking by it. They're going to beat Pittsburgh by 30 plus. Yep, no reason to uh, to go against you on that one, Ricky. I don't know why Vegas is giving them so much credit. Maybe it was just the Tech win, but 
It, 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 it had to have been that by 30, but Clemson's a different beast, dude. The difference between Clemson, you know, who's on the other end of what I was saying with Notre Dame, where Notre Dame's looking ahead. Clemson knows that they have no wiggle room. They need to beat everyone they play the rest of the way, and they need to beat them badly to ensure their spot in the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Clemson as well. I don't think Mikey's going to go against us on that one, but we shall see. All right, next game up, Louisville and Boston College. Boston College, the home team, and a one-point favorite in this contest. BC. We're going to agree again there, Ricky, because, I mean, I, first of all, I think— One point way too low. I think BC is the better team, and, the, and their record shows that. I think they have the better quarterback. I think they certainly have better defense. And on top of all this, there are rumors circulating right now with that South Carolina vacancy that Scott Satterfield is going to take an interview. Louisville denies it, but people on the inside at USC, that's what they're saying. And I, I think that if there is an impression that the coach isn't 100% bought in, a team like Louisville, who has proven themselves to be undisciplined throughout the season, you know, those players might not be bought in either. So I'm going to go with Boston College here. And do you know who's the, the lead candidate at South Carolina, though, Ricky, right now? Who they say the front runner? Make it happen, baby. Let's, saying let's, come it, on, let's do it. They're saying it's going to be uh, – no, no, no. It's actually a bad thing. At least I don't know what your opinion on this is, but they're saying Shane Beamer's the front runner. Yes, make it happen. Oh, why? You don't want Shane? We will hit on this if Justin Fuente is not the coach, um, but I will put it out there now. I will not advocate for Shane Beamer being the next head coach at Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it later. I think. So if you uh, want to go to South Carolina, have it. Go, go, go ahead and do it, Gamecocks. I'm more, more than happy for you. I think it's a uh, it's a risky proposition for Virginia Tech, but we'll touch on it later. We might not have the opportunity to if uh, Beamer gets hired before Fuente gets terminated, if he does. But we shall see. Last game, Ricky, and usually this spot is reserved for me getting all dramatic and saying the Virginia Tech Hokies, blah, blah, blah. But instead, it is quite the opposite. This is not exciting. This is Duke traveling to Georgia Tech. Uh, and... It's an easy this line is, right now. Vegas, Vegas doesn't know, this or maybe they just lumber. didn't care enough to find out. This is bad, dude. Like, I'm uh, first of all, I have to take a mea culpa. I thought Georgia Tech was going to be competitive this year. They're two and six. So, wrong again on that. Wrong on a lot of things. Um, I'm going to go with Georgia Tech uh, in this pick'em game here because it's apparently even, according to ESPN. So, go ahead and give me the Yellow Jackets because uh, might as well ride or die with, uh, with them. Georgia Tech should have improved this year, but even, I mean, they're probably in a better situation than they would have been in a normal situation because I believe their crossover game in the ACC is Clemson. And then they had Notre Dame on the schedule, plus, you know, Carolina and, you know, Tech was obviously supposed to be good. Miami's a top team. Then they played their rivalry game against Georgia. And they also had UCF as a non-conference. So, they I mean, the regular version of this season really could have torn that team apart. But yes. nonetheless, I think that given the circumstances that they were actually faced with, they should be better. I also think Duke should be better. Unfortunately for Duke, Chase Bryce, not very good. It's a shame because Duke has a couple of actual pro talents, you know, one at the tight end position in gray and a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball. When you're Duke, you don't get opportunities like that all that often. I'm going to go with the Devils here, not just because my dad went there, but mostly just because my dad went there. And I have very little insight into who's going to watch this meaningless game that you can only watch on your computer. If you want to talk about an opening in the ACC, Duke could be one. I I know Cutcliffe has a sterling reputation, but they have not been all that great. My insight on that would be, just how low they were before. They were at the lowest of lows. They were going. I know, but they're they're starting to get kind of far removed from that that Chick Fil A bowl season. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time Duke made a bowl game? Let's see. Hey, he has a quality win over Virginia Tech, uh, two thousand. <laughs> it, it, it's bad when you start looking at wins over Virginia Tech as no longer quality wins. 
he made bowl games in 17 and 18, so I don't think he's on get pushed out level yet. But Cutcliffe, obviously, we all know, is an older gentleman. I think that one more season of regressing performance, and you might see a Frank Beamer situation where maybe they're not holding the gun to his head and they're actually going to terminate him, but the pressure will be there. So, I mean, that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, that is a good point. And it'd be interesting to see who takes that Duke job. That might be a uh, a spot for the guy down at Charlotte who's turning a lot of heads, Will Healy. He's a He's been mentioned as a, a potential ACC or, or a guy for a Power 5 job. Very young, very enthusiastic, brought that program up from the depths. I know from what I've heard, though, for the Virginia Tech potential vacancy, our people do not want the Charlotte coach, and I understand why. All right, Ricky, we're done. You got anything to say to the people before we uh, call it and get ready for our Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Be thankful for your family. Um, be thankful for your friends. Be thankful for all the good things in your life. Count your blessings. Great review. Subscribe. Uh, go listen to Andrew's radio show on ESPN Blacksburg. Go read Michael's stuff on wherever the hell it is Mike's writing these days. Seems like he's appearing on all sorts of podcasts and writing all sorts of places. Uh, go read my stuff, LeBlue Review, RickyLeBlue.com. Um, go listen to Dave Scarangelo's podcast. True. Very yeah, true. Dave, Dave's awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, if there's any you know breaking news in the next coming weeks, we'll be sure to get you a podcast. Obviously, we saw Elijah Boick tra- or opted out, and he's entering the portal. Um, I think Andrew and I both agree that that's not going to be the last name. So keep your eyes peeled for that, but enjoy your Thanksgiving. Um, and Christmas time's almost here, folks. Well, Ricky, I've been listening to Christmas music since October 15th. But Are you kidding me? And more like, no, okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Like November 3rd, when they put the examination. <laughs> it's not much better. <laughs> See, for me, Christmas doesn't begin until after Thanksgiving. I know that that's becoming less and less normal, but. For me, I enjoy the fall Thanksgiving season, and I don't want to think about Christmas until after Thanksgiving. In fairness, I think a lot of my decision to jump the gun a little bit early this year falls on COVID and just wanting to get into the holiday cheer as early as possible. But, hey, I I do love Thanksgiving, though. And I'll say I'm very thankful for all of our listeners, our our year-to-year, how much this podcast has grown has been pretty awesome. And it's been awesome to be able to provide you with content that either excites you or in many situations recently, maybe makes your anger feel a little bit more validated, but we really enjoy doing this. And the fact that anyone wants to listen to us talk, I think is pretty cool. And yeah, all three of us really look forward to doing this every week. I think we have enjoyed doing the the two a week this season i think it's been better for us it's been better for the listeners so thank you for listening thank you for reading our stuff um thank you for tweeting at us even though mike's mentions are accessible um but thank you for 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 everything and we're gonna we're gonna ride it out through the rest of the season for better or for worse and hopefully um Hopefully things will get a bit better because I think we all would like the uh, program to be a bit more fun to cover right now. It's just kind of doldrums. Yeah, no, we'll keep rocking and rolling. Whoever's the coach of any team, whoever's the quarterback, who's ever this, that, or the other. We love Virginia Tech. We're passionate about the program. We're opinionated about it as well. So I, I we appreciate each and every one of you. We hope you have a wonderful, blessed Thanksgiving. Whether you're with your families or not, just like Ricky mentioned, be thankful for the people in your lives and be thankful for all the blessings that you have incurred, even in such a difficult year. We're also thankful for Main Street Pharmacy, by the way. We're very Hell yeah. Even though uh, Dr. Jeremy Counts kidnapped me and yelled at me to donate more money to the Hokie Club uh, when we were watching the game. but yeah we're thankful for them they make this podcast possible uh but yep until then folks we'll see you go Hokies.